the Commons, a podcast featuring researchers, innovators, artists, entrepreneurs, and community builders who are improving the human condition in your own backyard and around the globe. I'm your host, Tom Osho. One of the trends that has been accelerated by the upending of the healthcare system by COVID-19 is a greater focus on the patient experience. The promise of telemedicine that had been just over the horizon for the past 30 years has suddenly come into focus as patients and their healthcare professionals have been forcibly separated, while the need for support and consultation has never been greater. Moreover, the patient-centered care Population outcomes and equitable access are being heavily pursued by healthcare systems determined to use this catalytic moment to rethink their business models and reorient the relationship between doctor and patient. Innovation districts around the globe are looking for ways to infuse the healthcare system, particularly the patient experience, with the same kind of creative thinking and diverse innovation solutions that have brought us a dizzying array of medical breakthroughs over the past several decades. Many have realized that scientific progress and patient experience are not always in alignment, with the danger being that patients who are confused, intimidated, or just plain frustrated often give up before receiving the proper diagnosis, treatment, or medication. As former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop said, drugs don't work in patients who don't take them. The good news is that several innovation districts are beginning to apply the same design thinking principles that have been at the forefront of leading product design and are applying them to the patient experience and the delivery of care in leading medical centers around the country. My guest today has been at the forefront of human-centered innovation and stakeholder advocacy for over 30 years. David McDonald is a healthcare anthropologist and entrepreneur and the CEO and founder of Lyft, a research and design agency focused on patient engagement and empowerment. His firm helps healthcare and life science companies better understand the people they seek to serve by approaching product marketing and patient education and empowerment through a human-centered lens. I first met David when he founded Project Lift, an early-stage healthcare innovation and business incubator operated out of Wexford's Converge Miami project with the University of Miami, and I've been following his thought leadership ever since. In June, he published his first book, What's Their Story? Anthropology, Design Thinking, and the Rebirth of Healthcare Marketing. It is a fascinating read. And he joins me today from his home in Jupiter, Florida, to share some of his perspective and lessons from the book. David, welcome to the Commons. Tom, thanks for having me. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and it's so good to have you on. Congratulations on your book, What's Their Story? Give me a little bit of background. Why the title, and and what's the book's central thesis? The, The book was written for healthcare professionals, period. You know, we've come to a point now in in healthcare where we know the healthcare space is the most overregulated and and underdesigned industry in the world. And so, leveraging design thinking, the tools and protocols of design thinking into the healthcare conversation is becoming very common. Uh, It's becoming increasingly more appealing to people who might not have done that. 
So I wrote the book to sort of appeal to a broader audience in the healthcare space. We work with pharma, life science devices. Uh, we work in a lot of clinical trials and we work in the consumer healthcare delivery space. So the idea was to, to provide some of our knowledge as a design group and as anthropologists to the broader community so that we might see these table stakes of, of anthropology and design as useful tools and understand how to use those tools. So it's a foundational book. It's fundamental in terms of how it speaks to or presents the tools and protocols of design thinking. And it also covers some of great ground on the usefulness of ethnography and the value of anthropology in the healthcare space. And it's been very well received. We've had, we have had some great responses and we, all of my colleagues, of course, are excited by it. And, uh, and I'm excited to start to talk about that here with you. Well, thank you, David. And one of the things that came through in the book as a result of the ethnography and the design thinking tools was really a focus on creating empathy. And one of the examples that really came through was the example of the Haitian women that you found. Can you, can you tuck into that a little bit and some of the lessons learned? So, yeah. So the University of Miami, when we first arrived in Miami at the health system, they had, they had identified a surge in cervical cancer in, in, in a certain community, the Haitian community. And they were interested in understanding why a surge in, in cervical cancers. And so clearly they were testing at some point and diagnosing, but they couldn't understand why these screenings weren't happening sooner and why they weren't catching these, these diseases or this particular disease sooner. So they deployed an anthropological ethnographic study into the community. They spoke with the Haitian community. They spoke with the women the family members and other people in the communities about cervical cancer. And they learned a lot. They learned about being a Haitian woman. They learned about the body regions that are taboo in Haitian culture or that are, that are sort of uncomfortable to talk about. And ultimately they realized that Haitian women were not interested in coming to a stranger's office to have um, a diagnostic procedure performed by a stranger uh, for a lot of obvious reasons, I would presume. And so uh, ultimately, they determined that the best way to address this was to set up clinics or small screening areas in local homes and, uh, and even in, in, in the church environment. And they did that. And ultimately, they were able to drive down the incidence of cervical cancer in that community. And they figured all this out using ethnography, which is a form of anthropology that studies the lived environment of patients. It seeks to understand the burden of disease, the burden of treatment, the intellectual, cultural burden of, and understanding of, of health and well-being. And uh, in deploying that tool into that community there in Miami, they were able to come up with a pretty novel idea, or I should say a novel solution, to address the problem without, uh, without a lot of friction from the community because they address the needs of the community, they address the cultural beliefs of the community, and they developed a win-win situation where they've seen incidences of cervical cancer decline now in that community. Yeah, it's a fascinating example. And I, and I think one of the words that came out uh, most clearly to me was just the word context, right? Giving context uh, to a person's experience and, and, and being with them in that, as you say, that lived experience within their daily life. So how does context then relate to 
the larger, more complex academic medical center or or teaching hospital that you might find in an innovation community in Miami or Philadelphia or one of the other knowledge communities around the country? So context is everything. If you don't understand the context of a stakeholder, you're missing an opportunity to help your product succeed. And I'll give you a more tactile example of that that we've worked on, you and I, again, at the University of Miami where you and I met. I believe you know um, Eric Stone and, and the Volano Vascular folks, but I met them through your life science and technology park there. And they were at the time developing a new device. It was a blood draw. It is a blood draw device. It's a needless blood draw device. I won't get into the technology too much, but the point is it was a, a very powerful device potentially in terms of patient experience, also in terms of caregiver experience, because blood draws are the most common um, medical procedure ever. More blood draws are done on a daily basis than any other medical procedure. And, and so Eric was interested in understanding the lived reality of the phlebotomist or the nurses who take blood, the lived reality of the parents or the caregivers sitting beside or standing beside a patient who's having blood drawn, and certainly the lived reality of, of understanding the, the patient in those circumstances. And I don't have to tell you and our listeners that, that given that blood draws are so common, they can be traumatic, oftentimes in a pediatric environment or in an elderly environment, it's tough. And not just pediatrics. I'm not a big fan of them myself. Yeah, for sure. For any of us. And so what we sought to do first and foremost is this product, this, this, this uh, device was going through regulatory review and approval. Eric deployed us out to really understand the lived experiences um, around these stakeholders. And that gave us the ability to do two things. It gave us the ability to craft a brand and a message when he finally got across that sort of valley of death and into, you know, advanced commercial activities, it gave us the ability to build a great story for the brand, but it also gave us stories that served him well in terms of fundraising. And so it was a win-win across the board for him, but it mostly it really shed light on the value of such a simple change in the clinical environment. Um, and, and, and now the, the company is seeking to, commercialize it at scale. And it's really about, you know, changing the way hospitals do business. But that little change creates so much positive impact. And I think Eric knew early on, if we understand the stakeholder emotions and the, and the drivers of stakeholder uh, sort of reality, if you will, he would have an advantage when it came to the commercial part of his strategy. You know, it's fascinating because you also explain, as I looked at it, it's not just a, a transaction. I'm, I'm, I'm getting blood drawn. I'm having an intervention. But you talk a lot about mapping, right, and, and the, the mapping of a journey. And, and so talk a little bit about it. it's also experience over time to be able to affect behavior and figure out the right moments along that journey in which to do more effective interventions, correct? So it's, it's, there's a journey. Every, every interaction, every encounter in healthcare, and, and I would say to anyone in, in the life science innovation space, you know, if you're developing a product or an asset, if it's pharmaceutical uh, or a procedure, 
there's there's humans involved and understanding those human journeys is important and there's and it's not just about the patient journey it's about the, the clinician journey there's two sides to every healthcare transaction right there's the delivery side and in the reception of care in terms of delivery of care. So journey mapping is important. Understanding the journey of the stakeholders, understanding where they interact, um, understanding what their expectations are. There's a, another thing called expectation mapping. So understanding the expectations that are embedded in a, in a particular journey, um, understanding the linguistic components of that in terms of language, cultural beliefs, uh, literacy. So you can do what we call language mapping. And then context, you know, what's the context of the particular area of focus and, and how, do, how can we understand that better? And all these maps sort of can start to interact and, uh, and create good groundwork for, for better ways of delivering care or better ways of talking about our product or better ways of advancing our, our idea or our technology uh, through the pipeline in terms of uh, you know, getting to market or or getting some traction in market and, and, and successfully doing that within the context of, of empathy, which is the, the cornerstone of design thinking and, and certainly ethnography. Uh, it's extreme stakeholder empathy, to say the least. So now we've come back around to empathy. We've talked a bit about mapping and, and context. Let's, let's apply that to a topic that is, is foremost on everyone's minds today. And, and that really is creating an environment of racial equity, of social and economic mobility. Many of this nations and North America's, to be quite honest, academic medical centers and universities are in or near or adjacent to uh, typically disenfranchised or underinvested in communities. And there's a large focus in how do you engage these communities in, in the prosperity, the jobs, the opportunity that an academic medical center and its jobs and innovation district and its jobs and opportunities can represent. And so help, help me think a little bit about how design thinking anthropology, tools like ethnography can really help us create an environment that is more diverse and inclusive. Yeah. So inclusive ecosystems are crucial. We, we know that we're interacting with people. We're trying to move people's behavior. We're trying to improve their lives. We're trying to do something good for other people. The, the little nugget of, of importance here is that people do things for a reason. Um, healthcare consumers do things for a reason, each individual. And, and oftentimes we tend to give up on them or, or to shrug our shoulders and, and be frustrated when they don't do what we think they should do as, as scientists or care delivery experts or whatever the case may be. This is where empathy comes in. And there's three types of empathy. There's cognitive empathy, there's emotional empathy, and there's what's called empathic concern. And cognitive empathy is the ability to understand the stakeholder's perspective. It's the ability to understand the patient perspective or the, the, the care delivery staff's perspective by putting yourself in their shoes, if you will. And so we all have some ability of cognition and empathy. We have children, spouses, significant others, parents, we, we, we tend to want to put ourselves in their shoes and understand them, if at all possible, many times, or we, at least we should. And so that's cognitive empathy. 
Emotional empathy is the ability to, to sort of sense or feel what someone else is feeling, to be a little more emotionally connected. And so those of us who have significant others or children might sense that type of empathy from time to time. And then empathic concern is the third type of empathy, and that's the ability to sense what another person needs. And, and that triad of empathy has to be practiced in, in, in sort of equal balance at all times, if possible. Let's go back to my conversation earlier or my comments earlier about empathy and those three dimensions of empathy. They have to be present and they are present in design thinking. How does that encourage diversity? Well, it gave us a common language to speak. Design provides a framework for a common language. It's something that we can all do together. You know, the tools and protocols of design thinking, again, I go back to the fundamentals of, of what I call extreme stakeholder empathy. And you can't do good design uh, without a, a diverse multi-stakeholder approach. And so we were very fortunate in Miami, and I saw this in, in, in St. Louis, and I've seen this also in, in Philadelphia. The community um, of stakeholders was, was as diverse as it could be. But what we, what we were able to do and what design is able to do is to provide a framework where everybody can get involved and explore and problem seek and problem solve in a, in a common language. Um, so, you know, back then we said that we wanted collisions. Or I remember you using the term collisions. I heard it from you at the Life Science Parks. And I believe you were in Chattanooga talking to some folks there at the time. But, but I heard that word collision, which I thought was beautiful because it gives it, it, it gives these these environments that you're building are basically full of little collisions like that among stakeholders and it fuels important conversations and important traction in terms of the success of the the, the, the life science center but also in terms of the the contribution and the success it makes to the community so design provides that framework once all those stakeholders are in the room speaking so many different languages how can you get them focused on one language and, uh, and design thinking does that. And, of course, a, a fundamental tool of design, we think it's the most important tool, is, is ethnography. And in any incident where you're setting up a, um, a life science park or in any healthcare district, ethnography is, uh, is often overlooked but a certainly valuable tool in understanding. There's a difference between knowing and understanding stakeholders. And so you can start to understand those various stakeholders if you sort of take that empirical lens and fold that into the design process as well. That's a, a fascinating perspective and, and great advice in, in how we're really thinking to better and more authentically engage with communities that are adjacent to the universities and, and their academic medical centers and the knowledge communities that are, that are coming up around them. So so let me move to another thing I thought was kind of fascinating about the book, and, and this is probably a basic for you, but because kind of eye-opening for me was as I thought about elements of design thinking, empathize, you know, define or redefine, ideate, prototype, test and iterate and reiterate. In a lot of ways, it, it follows what happens in a university research lab or a clinical research environment. And so research is all about improving the human condition. So can you give me examples of design thinking or ethnography in action as kind of a component of the research enterprise itself? 
one example. So the, the process of design thinking, you, you talked about that circular, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, test, iterate, go back through the circle again. This is nothing new. I mean, in design thinking, it's certainly not something that oh, I hold the, the corner of the market. It's, it's a very important tool. It's been around since the, probably the 60s or so. And it's becoming more and more valuable in the healthcare space, even in drug development or clinical trials. And so the first Example I would give you would be a project we did called Limit JIA. We did it with a JIA, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, pediatric arthritis, if you will. And so we were asked to help them do a better job understanding the complexity of emotion when a child is diagnosed with, at first joint, we call it, and understanding the emotion of the parent. Because in a pediatric situation, generally you have the parents or the carers and they make most of the decisions. And so the idea was to understand what, what is it that they're feeling and what is it that they're thinking and how can we take that and, and build a language that's empathic towards their needs, but that also empowers them and cultivates a higher level of ownership in their decisions about their clinical path, thereby elevate the competency and account, accountability of the parent to a level where they are bought into and they own the decisions they make and, and they're more involved in therefore their, their commitment to a clinical trial. If they were to take on a clinical trial, that project gave us a great opportunity to understand not only what clinical trials look like in drug development, but also what the, the stakeholders, especially the patient stakeholder looks like within the context of a clinical trial at a very emotional point in time. And so we were able to seek this understanding of the lived experience by interviewing parents once the, immediately after their child had been diagnosed, translating that understanding into language that facilitated a better clinical encounter, clinical journey. We talked about journeys a minute ago for the patient and also gave the clinical trialist and the pharmaceutical company the tools they needed to build a better brand or a better product once regulatory approval was achieved and the drug was ready to go to market. And so that's an example of design and anthropology informing the early stages of drug development as well as the critical functionality of a clinical trial. So this goes way beyond patient centricity, right? I found the chart of the Rogers Innovation Adoption Curve. Yeah. You know, very interesting because we we've heard about patient centric uh, healthcare for probably two decades at least, but this is kind of a, a new and far more powerful way of adopting thinking with results and benefits that would go much broader uh, than just the single patient around which previous solutions have been centered. So if you think of the adoption of design and the adoption of anthropology into sort of the ethos of, of healthcare practice, at any level of practice, in asset development, research, patient communication, whatever the case may be. It's relatively new in a sense that not everybody's doing it, but I think they soon will be. You know, you brought up Roger's curve and we all know about the, the, the innovators and early adopters take up about the first 15% and you have to get across this chasm where 
we call that in life sciences, the valley of death. Sometimes ideas and products kind of fall down into that chasm because they're just not useful. And I think we're getting across that chasm now. And I think we're going to soon see ourselves as, a, as the early majority. And that's the people who are really wanting to champion this out into the, the, the broader healthcare community audience, if you will. And I'd say that the, the path we've traveled over the past five years or 50 years as it relates to patient centricity um, I think that makes us the innovators and the early adopters, right? Even your organization, I've seen you leverage design thinking into many of the facilities that you have. And, uh, and so I think we're now at a point where we're ready to sort of be the Sherpas that carry us across that chasm and get this adopted into the mainstream of healthcare thinking and strategy. And, and I don't think we can do it. We can do anything productive in healthcare without it. You know, you talked about equality earlier and we talked about drug development or asset development product development, device development, patient experience design, whatever the case may be, communication, education, marketing. You can't do it without an empathic point of view or an empathic lens. And, and you can't take what you learn through empathy. You can't take empirical data and just let it sit on a shelf. You have to organize it. You have to thematically put it to work. And the best way to do that is through the lens of design thinking. And in those environments will come human-centered, truly human-centered solutions for for healthcare consumers and healthcare providers and and within the context of that is the opportunity for innovators researchers and whatever the case may be to change the way they do the work they do sort of to match up with that the global imperative of of equality and understanding the the patient or the stakeholder voice truly understanding there's a difference as i said earlier between knowing someone and understanding someone. And that's what these tools can do. Well, it's amazing. It's a wonderful book. It is a great read. And I encourage everybody to go to Amazon and pick up a copy. My guest today has been David McDonald. He is the CEO and founder of Lyft. And his new book is What's Their Story? Anthropology, Design Thinking, and the Rebirth of Healthcare. I'm Tom Osha, and this has been The Commons. Commons is a production of Wexford Science and Technology, LLC. Views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guest. To view additional material about today's episode, submit questions or story ideas, or learn more about Wexford Science and Technology, please visit www.wexfordscitech.com forward slash the commons. I'm your host, Tom Osha. Thanks for listening.